Last week marked the 10th anniversary of the death of Steve Jobs. Today we'll be talking about what he meant to me during my life and also what he meant to a lot of other people. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. So this past week was the 10th anniversary of Steve Jobs' death. Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about when you first became interested in who Steve Jobs was? Yeah, so when I was growing up, my dad was a computer science professor, and he told me about Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and how they founded Apple when I was a really little kid. I was probably like three years old, five years old, somewhere in that range. And I always found it fascinating. And I was born in 87. So they had already founded Apple. And this was already when he was telling me about it, maybe like 1990. This was already 15 years almost after the founding of Apple. So I thought it was such a great mythology, such a great legend. I really enjoyed you know, learning about the two of them. And then when I was a little older, when I was 10 years old, I really got more into it. Like I, you know, we always had Macs at home, but, and I had learned a little bit about programming. And then I started really learning more about kind of the business side of computers and the web was just coming out. This is like the mid to late nineties. And there was kind of this cult following out there for Steve Jobs. And I guess you could say I became part of that cult. And that was back when it was still like cool because not everyone was into it yet. (laughs) Like I think he had this peak of popularity in the 80s. And then when he left Apple and started Next and was working on Pixar in the late 80s, early 90s, I think it kind of died down. And then the cult was kind of picking up again in the late 90s. And I was part of that second wave. And it really went to the next level, of course, in the 2000s. But there were not that many of us, actually, in the late 90s. So it was still kind of cool. Like, there were there were some web forums where we would all talk to each other. There, were, there was Macworld Expo each year that my dad would take me to go to. And then what really took it to the next level for me was a movie that came out in 1999 called Pirates of Silicon Valley. Steve Jobs is prominently figured in that. It's about the rise of Apple under Steve Jobs and the rise of Microsoft under Bill Gates. And I just found that movie so romantic. Like, I thought this idea that these two hippies, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, out of their garage started a company that totally changed the world. That made me feel as an individual, what can I achieve in my life? What's a big thing I could do? Um, and it, you know, and they were just regular guys, really. They weren't like, they weren't super rich. They weren't necessarily um, really well connected or anything like that. They were somewhat in the right place at the right time, but they also had the right ideas and they had the right passions. And Steve Wozniak, of course, was a genius at build when he was building the first Apple One and the Apple Two. So. Steve Jobs was lucky that he knew him. But I just found the whole notion of what they did and how they did it so romantic. And I knew from that point, and already from a little bit younger, but definitely from that point, and this is 1989, that I wanted to work in the tech industry. I knew for sure I wanted to work in the tech industry after that because I thought nowhere else can a single person have so much leverage. And by that, I mean, can the contributions of one person have such a big impact on the world? You could argue maybe in politics, maybe there's certain other figures in business, but technology today touches every part of our lives. I mean, and the tools that 
people who started those companies in the 70s and 80s built for us. And we talked about some of these in previous episodes, and I'll link to them in the show notes, like the episode on the personal computer revolution and on why the Mac was revolutionary. I'll put those links in the show notes. But you know, the, the tools that they built had an impact on everybody, Every, whether you were an architect or a biologist or you were just somebody running a small business or just a kid learning about mathematics and English, those tools that they built enhanced everyone's lives. And I thought, wow, this is the way that I can also have a lot of leverage is, is trying to build tools for other people in the same way that they built tools for other people. So that's how I first got into Steve Jobs. And then it became like an uh, obsession for me as a teenager. You know, I would watch every video, read every book that came out about him. Um, or that had previously come out. And I'm very knowledgeable on uh, Steve Jobs' history. I've read the books all about his business life, about his life at Apple, life at Pixar, about his personal life. I guess you could call me a super fan. What do you think sets Steve Jobs apart from other business leaders or tech entrepreneurs? I think he's a lot more soulful. And I know that, you know, he has that reputation for being a really hard boss that kind of takes away from that a little bit. But if you really get into it and learn deeply about him, there was a strong kind of life philosophy behind everything that he did. He was really into Zen Buddhism. He was really into minimalism as an art form. He was really a child of that kind of late hippie movement from the late 60s, early 70s. You know, he talked about what an important experience it was for him, like tripping on LSD. Uh, he really had an interesting kind of upbringing and life experience that he brought into everything that he did in tech. He wasn't just building tech just to have the most features or to have the most efficient computer. He was building tech to enhance people's lives, and he was building products that followed some of his life philosophies about minimalism, about blending into the universe and enhancing it. And he really had a very inspirational message for people. He was saying to people that, you know, it's important to what he called put a dent in the universe, that every person can really make a positive change. Every individual, if you realize that, and this is almost quoting him, that the people that built all the systems around us are no smarter than you, that everything that we go through that we call life was just built by other people who are just like us. So there's no reason that we can't improve upon it, that we can't find ways to make it better. Um, and he was building tools to help people do that. He was building the ultimate tool. I mean, there's no tool in history that's as useful, as applicable to as many domains as the personal computer. And he was the person who brought the personal computer to the masses as much as anybody else. I mean, there were, of course thousands and thousands of people who were who worked in that endeavor. But he was kind of the face of that. And he was the person leading some of the most important efforts in that, like the original Macintosh, or like with Steve Wozniak working on the Apple II. Steve Wozniak, again, was a technical genius. I think it's worth saying when we talk about Steve Jobs, he was not a technical genius. Mm -hmm. he, he When he was a teenager, he learned to do some work in electronics, and he worked at Atari briefly. Uh, but he didn't. He wasn't a technical star. Steve Wozniak was a technical star. What Steve Jobs was great at was marketing, was business, was inspiring teams, was vision of what a product should be like, was being a great editor, having the people below him come to him with different ideas and figuring out the right ones and the, the bad ones too and saying no to a lot of things. So 
I think it's worth saying that he wasn't necessarily what we talk about on this podcast a lot. We talk a lot about software developers and we talk about people who create through technical achievement. The people who did that worked for him. Hmm. He was the person guiding them, inspiring them, leading them, and then taking their product and making it palatable for the general public. What do you see as his legacy? Sometimes in his keynotes, he would have this slide about the intersection between the liberal arts and technology. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier about having soul and having some kind of philosophy behind the products. We're at really an interesting crossroads right now with the way that technology impacts our lives. A lot of people are very upset about what the smartphone has done to our children or what social media has done to our political process or to even um, just the dissemination of knowledge. A lot of people are very angry with the technology industry. And I think one of the reasons Apple has somewhat been able to stay above that fray is the values that he imbued in it. Values like privacy, values like not turning the user into the product, values like building products that were human-centric instead of tech-centric. And I'm not saying that Apple is the only company that does that, but I do think that it continues to reflect those values, and I think that's one of his biggest legacies, is we're not building tech just for the sake of tech. We're building tech for how it can enhance people's everyday lives. Or, even better than that, enhance people who are doing extraordinary things to do even more extraordinary things. Building tech for both artists and also for scientists and also for regular people. To enhance their output, to make fantastic tools for them. Not just building tech for the sake of doing something new. Do you think Steve Jobs and his philosophy or his legacy has impacted the way that you program or approach your other projects? I don't think it really impacts much the way I program because, again, he wasn't really a software developer. He definitely wasn't a software developer and he definitely wasn't a deep technical person in the sense that he was getting into the weeds of it. Um, the only thing I would say is that in my life in general, what I take away from him is the idea of trying to simplify all the time. And I think that's maybe that even bleeds itself into when I work on software, that I'm trying to make my software as simple as possible and not worry about having the most sophisticated design. It's more about the simplicity being its own kind of sophistication. Are there things that you learned about Steve Jobs that surprised you or really stand out that maybe most people like, wouldn't know or wouldn't assume? I think one thing that anyone who reads a couple books about him learns, but most people don't know, is how important the period for him was when he actually wasn't doing well. So there's the early period after he starts Apple. He starts Apple when he's 21, and he's at Apple until he's 30. So that's from 1976 to 1985. And he's, of course, that's a super successful period. That's when the Apple II is one of the best-selling computers in the world, and then the Macintosh comes out, which even though it didn't sell great at first, was really a very revolutionary product. Then he actually gets fired from Apple in a sense. There's a boardroom struggle that he doesn't win, and he's kind of figuring out what is he going to do next with his life, and he started this Next company called Next. Uh, it's kind of like a reference to himself. He called it Next Computer, um, and he also ended up buying Pixar in that period. 
But Pixar was not successful at first. It took till Toy Story came out in 1995 for it really to be successful. So it had 10 years of struggling. And in that same period, Next wasn't doing that well either. They made revolutionary technology that we've talked about in previous episodes that eventually is now the basis of all of Apple's technology. But in that period, Next was not doing well. His Next computer company did not do well. It was purchased by Apple in 97, and that's what brought him back to Apple. But that period in his life was actually quite long. It was over a decade, and it was a decade of a lot of failure. And he learned a lot in that period about how to be a better manager, about how to build products that the market was ready for instead of products that were too far ahead of their time. And when he came back to Apple in 97, he was really a changed person, I think. And I think that's the narrative that's delivered very well in a book called Becoming Steve Jobs. I'll link to the book in the show notes. But yeah, a lot of people don't know that he wasn't just this like continuous success story. He actually had very significant failures, including some significant personal failures that you can read about in his biographies as well. And there's even some books that are totally about kind of his personal life. Um, and I'll link to a blog post that I wrote a couple years ago that goes into a summary of a lot of the books about Apple and Steve Jobs that I've read. So if you want to find out more about him, that blog post is a good place to start. Anyway, um, so he had a lot of personal and professional failures, actually, over a period of, you know, over a decade of his life. And he learned, I think that's one of the best qualities of somebody, are people that actually change over time and learn from their failures, right? Um, that's much more interesting a lot of the time than somebody who just had tons and tons of success. But he would not have been successful at Apple during his second time at Apple if he hadn't had all of those failures. He learned a lot from those failures and he became a much more effective leader and manager and even a more effective visionary in a sense because of those failures. So that's one thing I think a lot of people don't know about him. Um, another thing that I think a lot of people don't know about him is that there's he has this reputation in the public for being this like really tough boss. And I'm sure he was, I mean, because there's plenty of accounts of that. But there's also plenty of accounts of him doing incredible things for the people that work for him. Incredibly touching personal things, helping people through personal tragedy, helping people through significant family issues. And if you really dig deep and read all the literature about him, you'll see that there's two sides of the coin and this kind of caricature of him as this just, you know, maniacal boss is not really completely fair. Um, that, you know, I'm sure that that was true too. But he also could have been was a could be a very sentimental and helpful person in his personal life and how he treated his employees as well. So you know I think like anybody, it's a complex picture. But I do think that the caricatures we get in the public are not completely fair. And just one more thing I want to mention that a lot of people don't realize about him. There's a book I read a couple of years ago about his presentations, and it's called The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. And it's a very good book. If you're somebody who does keynote presentations or makes regular PowerPoints for a class or for in business because you have to present to your colleagues, I really recommend this book. But on top of being a great presenter, it wasn't all just natural. It was incredible amounts of practice. People think he just had this automatic like reality distortion field, as they call it, and he could just convince anybody of anything. But actually... He practiced relentlessly. He was a perfectionist about those presentations, and it wasn't just natural ability. There definitely was natural ability, but on top of that, it was relentless practice and hard work like anything that's worthwhile in life is. So 
I think when we find that out about somebody who makes something look so natural, it's almost more inspirational because it means you could do it too, right? It means you could become a great presenter if you practiced enough and followed the same principles as well. So yeah, those I think those are three pretty important myths to dispel about him. Um, number one being that he had quite significant failure in his life, including in the technology industry. Number two, that he, there was two sides to the coin about how he treated his employees. I'm sure he treated some of them badly, but some of them, there's also stories about him doing incredible things. And number three, I think that he, while he was probably a naturally gifted presenter, he also was a relentless perfectionist who made sure that every last second of his presentation was rehearsed and down to a T before he gave it. Do you think there's anyone now who's been filling that role or that space or that kind of inspirational figure in the tech industry or anywhere else? I don't think there's anybody quite like him just because of his unique blend of philosophy. And I think, by the way, that's one of the things I like most about him. If you go and watch some of the interviews with him from the early 90s, so not the second Apple period, not 97 on, and not the 80s either. But if you actually look at the early 90s, which was actually when he was in the depths of failure at Next, there are these incredible interviews with him where he goes through kind of his philosophy, both about life and also about products and about business. And I, I just recommend some of those interviews so much. But anyway, I don't think there's anyone exactly like him. I think that what we have are some incredible tech entrepreneurs right now, but they don't have the same kind of soul that he had when I think about what I like so much about him. Um, and how he combined kind of his philosophy with his tech visionary side. I think the closest thing we probably have to Steve Jobs right now, in my personal opinion, is Elon Musk, somebody who is totally turning industries upside down. I mean, Steve Jobs didn't just turn the computer industry upside down. He turned the music industry upside down, to a certain extent, the movie industry with what he did at Pixar. Um, he also of course, totally changed other aspects of tech with products that he led the launch of, like the iPhone and the iPad. So he turned multiple industries on their head. And in the same way, I think Elon Musk has really turned multiple industries on its head, the automotive industry, the solar industry, the space industry. Uh, so if you think about somebody today who's had as much of an impact on multiple different industries, I would have to say Elon Musk would be in that category. Elon Musk thinks like maybe we're all living in a simulation in a video game. <laughs> he said things like that in the past and he's kind of joking, but you know, that's not the most soulful point of view. So I don't know that he quite has the same level of, of soul as I might put it, but he's obviously an incredible entrepreneur um, on a level with Steve Jobs probably. If you had the opportunity to meet Steve Jobs or talk to him, is there anything you would want to ask him? I think having read so much about somebody and then meeting them, it's kind of probably would be kind of overwhelming. But I think if I had met him, I would have asked him, which is a pretty common question that people ask in interviews, not that I'd be interviewing him, but like, what are the things that people don't ask you, right? Like, I'd be interested to know he's such a well-covered figure. There's probably 20 books that have been written mainly about him. What do they not cover? What did they miss about you? right? Um, and he was a pretty personal person. So there's probably quite a bit there. But um, I think it's sad that he never did an autobiography. He did do an authorized biography, the famous biography of him that came out by Walter Isaacson, like right after he died, was authorized. It was an officially authorized biography, but it wasn't really an autobiography. And that biography, by the way, has been criticized quite a bit. That's the reason there's that other book that I mentioned called Beyond Steve Jobs. And there's a few other uh, well-known 
biographies about him because not everyone agrees that the book that Walter Isaacson did was really like a great book. It was written fine, but did it really capture the most important aspects of his business philosophy or his his tech visionary side? Not everyone thinks it does. So I do still recommend that book because it kind of gives the best general outline of his life. So if you're just starting and you just want to know more about Steve Jobs, I would totally recommend the Isaacson biography as a starting point, but it's definitely not an ending point. And I would also, just in response to your question, say like, it's I think it's very hard. There's no like burning question I have for him. It's more like, what is it that if I wanted to better understand, since I've studied so much of your life, your life, that's not covered out there that that people would want to know, which is kind of a cop out for me to answer you with, but I still would be pretty interested in his answer to that. What do you think has been the impact that Steve Jobs has had on people in the tech industry? I think there's a lot of people like me who were really inspired by him and that wouldn't be in tech if it wasn't for him. So I think that is also one of his biggest legacies is just all the people. I mean, there's a lot of people who aren't fans of him, too. There's people who hate him. You go on like any forum like Hacker News or one of the subreddits that people talk about tech and you'll get plenty of people that will come out of the woodwork and are real haters. But I think the number of people that have been inspired by him is way, way, way above that. And that alone must be one of his biggest legacies, just the number of us that got into tech because we love that romantic story of how he started Apple and also were inspired by his leadership throughout his life is probably enough to fill several stadiums. All right. Thanks for listening to us this week. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? We're at Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.